All right, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians 16. I'm going to read to you. It's very simple. In fact, what I would love for you to do to honor the Word of God this morning, would you do me a favor? Would you stand to your feet for the reading of the Word of God? Let's honor those. I think sometimes we forget that there was real people that sacrificed real lives so that you and I could read this word and how many times we take it for granted. So I always feel like it's a good time to honor. And besides today, it's really short. I got two verses for you, two verses. We're going to talk about verse 13 today. Next week, we're going to talk about verse 14. Are you ready? Paul, the great apostle Paul, speaking right into the Corinthian culture, says this, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything in love. Is that simple? I feel like I could drop the mic right now and walk off the stage and we'd be good. But I believe that God has a word for me. So put your hand on your heart. I want to pray for us. Father, I thank you for your Holy Spirit here with us this morning. Thank you for your presence. I sense your presence is here. And I sense that you want to do something in us to change us, to transform us through your word this morning. God, I pray for your anointing, your anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage. God, I pray that you would break off any scales over eyes this morning. I pray that you would heal spiritual blindness in areas where we have blind spots that we're not seeing you working or moving in our life. God, I pray that you would unstop ears today. God, that those who would say, I haven't heard God speak to me. He doesn't speak to me. I rebuke that lie in the name of Jesus. And I say, God, open up ears today so that your word could penetrate not just our ears, not just our minds, but God, I pray that your word would go deep this morning. I pray that it would be like a seed that would be implanted in spirits that would take deep root, God, and it would begin to grow and water through the power of your Holy Spirit. God, this is your service. I give it to you. I am fully dependent upon your anointing and your presence to speak through me this morning. So we give you this time. We honor you this morning. And God, we also lift up the nation of Israel. Israel to you. Father, we pray for the nation of Israel. God, we lift up your chosen people, your nation, God, and we pray, Father God, that you would protect them. We pray for the peace of Israel. God, we pray that you would give uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu wisdom, supernatural wisdom, uh, direction to lead his country. And I, Father, I pray mostly that you would open the eyes of those who don't see Jesus as their Messiah. Father, I pray that you would use this as an occasion to open hearts and minds, that people will have an encounter with you, Jesus. We pray for Palestine, that they would have an encounter with Jesus, that Jesus, you bring peace everywhere you touch. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Give somebody a high five as you're sitting down. I want to talk to you over the next couple of weeks about standing strong and loving well. Standing strong and loving well. I think this is probably one of the greatest challenges as the church of Jesus Christ that we face living in the 21st century. I think all of us feel it. We sense it. We see, especially over the last couple of years, we see culture and darkness coming over not only America, but coming over the world. We see this gravitational pull of, of culture in the world away from God, away from the church. And as a pastor, what concerns me is I see culture affecting the church as much as we're affecting culture. And yet, what do we do? 
We're going to gather around tables uh, this coming Thursday to celebrate Thanksgiving. And I love that. I'm glad that you're going to stuff your face with turkey and you're going to get a tryptophan coma and you're going to take a nice big fat nap watching the Detroit Lions lose. Maybe they'll win this year. They're pretty good. Um, and you're going to stuff yourself with, you know, just all the good food we're going to eat. Hopefully you're going to get some cranberry out of the can with the ridges. Hopefully you're going to have enough gravy. I remember when I was a kid watching uh, Tom and Jerry. How many of you remember Tom and Jerry? I remember watching Tom and Jerry in this episode where this dog, you know, is kind of messing with Jerry and he says, I want more gravy. And he's, he beats him up. He's like, get me more gravy until finally they, they get him back and they, they like strap him down to a table and they bring in a funnel and a big can of gravy and they just say, here you go. And they give him all the gravy. I, I, that's me, man. Give me the gravy. I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. It's going to be fun. And, uh, you know, we're going to go we're going to be with family and oftentimes we're around family that we're not around and we're going to be around family members that maybe know Jesus, follow Jesus, believe in his word, but we're also going to be around family members that don't and have different ideas about life and how to live and different lifestyles and the way they live. And throughout the holiday seasons, we're going to, we're going to go to work parties and we're in our schools. We feel it, how, how everybody thinks differently and, and religion and God is being pushed out of schools. It's being pushed out of the workplace. It's, it's trying to be pushed out of government and our, our country. And yet this country was founded on in God we trust. And I think if we're going to get back to that, the church is going to have to rise up and be the church. The church is going to have to learn how to live in the tension of standing strong in our faith, standing strong for the truth, and yet loving well. And we all see it, right? We see it happening in America. We see it happening in churches. Some churches have embraced the grace movement. And I'm all about grace. But, but if you get too far on the grace side, we can start excusing sin and, and saying that there is really no heaven and hell. And by the way, we don't even need the Old Testament. We just need the New Testament. And it's okay how you want to live as long as you confess Jesus. You can live in a homosexual lifestyle. You can cheat on your wife. You can look at porn. You can live however you want because culture says that's okay. And, and when the church starts saying it's okay and we start lowering our standard from what God's standard is in his word of God and we start getting into sloppy and messy grace, there's something wrong with that. And yet on the other side of that coin over here, we have the people to say, no, we need to stand in truth. And pastor, you just need to give it to them straight. You need to tell them you're going to either turn or burn. You either turn to Jesus or you're going to hell, you know, in a handbasket. And our country's going to hell in our handbasket. And we can get on social media and Facebook and rant and rave about all the craziness that's happening in our world. And we can tell people how wrong they are and how they're going to hell. And in and, and the same way that we are annihilating the people that need God and need hope the most and so where do we fall man this is like it's like an oreo cookie you know you you need you can have just the chocolate no good just the the white man too too sweet you need you need the nice combination of both right right in the middle there's a sweet spot it's called standing strong and loving well yeah how do we do that how do we feel that tension there's a couple of quotes about this that i thought um are really uh, pertinent. One is by a man named Warren Worsby. He says this, truth without love is brutality and love without truth is hypocrisy. I want to say that again. Truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. 
Um, another man that I respect, a pastor, a former pastor, God, God rest his soul, Pastor Timothy Keller, pastored in New York City uh, for a long period of time. He says this, I like this too. He says, love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms, but it keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. And I wonder, why is the church, why are we the Jesus people? Why are we the people that were commissioned by Jesus himself to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and lo and behold, I will be with you to the end of the age. And he gave, he gave us that promise because he gave us the gift of his Holy Spirit. And when he gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit, he gave us the very empowerment to live like Jesus and to love like Jesus. And yet, where is that love? Where is that life? Where is that compassion for people instead of telling them the truth, but in the same time, we're marginalizing them away from the very thing that they need the most, which is the love of God. But yet we could also err on the side of loving people so much to excuse away their sin and tell them it's okay and you don't need to change. We just accept you the way you are. And we do, but Jesus accepts us the way we are. And we, when we get a revelation of how much he loves us and what he did, the sacrifice that he paid for us, I have no other response to say than God, in return, since you gave it all for me, I'm going to give it all for you. And I'm surrendering my life to the one who surrendered his life so that I could be saved, set free, delivered, bought by the blood of Jesus, forgiven and free so that I could be the person that you made me and created me to be. And so how do we do this? How do we live in this tension of, of culture pulling at us and, and affecting us the way we think and, and confusing us? And I think there's no better example in the Bible, and I want us to take a look at what I believe is one of the greatest examples of, of some men that lived in a culture much like ours, in fact, way worse than ours. It makes our culture look good, but is the Babylonian culture. And the man is da Daniel. And in the book of Daniel, Daniel is a prophetic book. It's actually a history book and a prophetic book. In fact, the account of Daniel, you can go through and look at other history books and history books will back up the account of Daniel. But Daniel isn't just history. It isn't just what God has done in the past. It's a prophetic picture of what it looks like to live in a culture and to stay strong in your faith, to stand up for the truth, yet love well and have influence into a culture that is not like ours. And so we're going to take a look at Daniel. And I want to read to you in Daniel chapter 1, the first uh, 10, 10 verses, just for us to get an idea of how, how much our culture is shifting away from God. And when we look at the parallels between um, the Babylonian culture and the culture that Daniel and his friends were exiled into, they were actually taken as hostages. Because how many of you know this? that God prophetically warned the nation of Israel several times through his prophets. And after so many years, God, you know what? God is so gracious with us, isn't he? He gives us so many chances. He sends us so many people to try to wake us up. And sometimes I think we just dismiss it. It's like you could come to church and somebody could say, man, I feel like God wants to just share this with you. 
and, or, or the preacher says something and you feel the Holy Spirit speaking to you uh, a word of conviction and we don't do anything with it. Well, that was what was happening with the nation of Israel. God had sent his prophets to them and said, listen, you have started to serve other gods. You started to allow this mixture of culture and me and that doesn't work for me. I'm a jealous God. I'm a one man, like you worship me or you worship them. Joshua would say it this way. He'd say, man, serve either God or serve the other gods, but choose this day whom you serve. And I love the conviction of Joshua. I think we need to get to the place where we say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so just like that, you got to choose. You got to choose how, how, who you're going to serve, what you're going to give your time to, what you're going to give your money to, how you're going to spend your life, how you're going to think, right? The friendships, the relationships that we have, all these things, they matter. They matter. They matter to God and us. But look at Daniel chapter one, verse one. God had warned the nation of Israel. They rebuked, they did not, they did not repent and turn back to God. So finally, and this is what you'll see happen in your life when, when you do things enough on your own, when you say, God, you, when we, when we do our own thing and go our own way, make our own decisions for our life, we choose how we're going to spend our money, how we're going to live, how we're going to do marriage, how we're going to do family. Finally, God says, if that's the way you want it, fine, I'll let you have it your way. And he removes his hand of blessing and protection off of us. And when that happens, we get punished by our own bad decisions. And we have to live with the consequences of our sin of us making ourselves God over God. And we see that happening in the culture right now, denying the truth, right? So Daniel chapter one, this is the scenario. God took his hand off Israel. Babylonians came, invaded them. Now they take back some of the best of the best with them. They slaughter, and they did some crazy stuff, slaughtering babies. That's a whole nother message, uh, destroying the temple of gods. And here we go, Daniel chapter one. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of, the Bab- of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. It's the Lord that did that. He allowed it. Along with some of the articles from the temple of God, these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Now, let me pause there for a second. If you could just pause there for a second. This is one of the first things that happens. Culture will take what is holy and sanctified by God and he will defile it by making it ordinary. He'll take what is God's and he'll say, no, you don't need that. You could just put it in the rest with the, all the other gods. You, you could serve God, but you could live like this and you could follow other ways of the world. And what happens is we get a mixture. And when we get a mixture, we defile what God said is holy. You don't have to understand your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. There is the Holy Spirit living inside of you. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave and holy cannot stay with secular Those two things can't mix. And when we see this happening, even in the church, it is defiling the very holiness of God. I think we need a restoration of the holiness movement. I think God, every time God wants to wake his people up, he starts with the church first. He starts with judging his people first and testing them first. And I believe God is doing something in his church in this hour that he wants a holy church to return to. He wants a church that is going to be light. It's going to be salt. It's going to stand for the truth. It's going to say we will be a holy people. We will not allow our culture or the world to defile what God says is holy. 
In verse 3, it says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. And young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude, of every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Kind of like your pastor. <sighs> Why are you laughing? That hurt my feelings. And he was to teach them, listen to this, the language and the literature of the Babylonians. See, this is what we're seeing happen right now. Our culture is trying to teach you a new language. Language and verbiage mean something. Look at, they are trying to, the world is trying to secularize what is holy and it is trying to twist words so that you think, well, what's wrong with that? When behind it is just a white lie. It is not true. I mean, you can, you know, you can decide your own pronoun, your own whatever you want to call yourself and, and take on names. But let me tell you, there is a language of this world that it wants you to adopt and, and take on and to label you and to label me. The other thing is the literature. Think about this. Every, literature back then, it was, it was books. Today, it's social media. It's what you listen to. It's what you watch. And this is why we have to be careful. We are immersed in a culture and society that is trying to indoctrinate you with the ways of the world. It is trying to indoctrinate you with culture. And then the, even the word Babylon, Babylon, there's a spirit behind it. Remember, Paul said, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but powers and principalities of this, what? Dark world. There are powers of darkness in this world. In fact, Jesus would say of the, of the devil who are, is our enemy, he called him the prince of this world. So what does that tell you? It tells you that there's a spirit on the world. In fact, when Peter would, would say um, to Jesus, when uh, he asked him, he says, who do you say that? And he says, you are, you are the God, this is the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, well done. You know, flesh and blood did not uh, reveal that to you. And then Jesus starts to tell him, I'm going to have to be arrested and go. And Peter says, no, Lord, never. And Jesus, he went from praising him to rebuking him. And he rebukes him and he says, get behind me, Satan. And that's confusing because you're like, well, was he calling Peter Satan? What's up with that? No, he wasn't calling Peter Satan. He was rebuking the spirit behind what Peter was saying. There is a spirit in this world that is a spirit of deception. In fact, the very word Babylon gets its roots from the word Babel, which means confusion. Think about that for a minute. The language and the literature of Babylon is trying to confuse you, the ways of the world. If there's anything that I could identify in the world right now is a spirit of confusion. There's a spirit of confusion that is trying to confuse even God's people so that we don't know what's right, what's wrong, what is the truth, what isn't. And I'm, let me tell you something, that spirit needs to be broken in the name of Jesus. But there are two things when you think about Babylon. Babylon, if you go back into the Old Testament in the story of Babylon, it was man's attempt to get to heaven on their own power, in their own strength, in their own mind. And God confused the language. That's where we get the name Babel because uh, there was confusion over the language. There is so much confusion over the language and literature going on in this world. And the spirit of Babylon is still loose in the world today. Verse five, and the king assigned to them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Let me just say one thing about this briefly. The king's food and wine. There is even a, a spirit in the world that wants to lull us to sleep with the pleasures of this world. 
And if we allow ourselves, we'll get so caught up eating the good things of the world and feasting on the good things of the world that it will just lull the church to sleep enough where we'll just get enough good food in us, enough good wine in us, where we just get a little sleepy. And when the church falls asleep, man, that's, that's when bad things happen. That's when we lose our watch. We are called to be watchmen on the wall. We are called to be the light. We're called to be the salt. In verse 6, and among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Thank you, VeggieTales. How many remember? Come on. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. First thing I have for you is if we are not going to bend to culture, we have to be on our guard. Be on your guard. Paul, speaking to the church in Corinth, First thing he says is, be on your guard. Some translations say, wake up, stay alert. And I think one of the greatest things the culture will try to do is, like I just mentioned, is they'll try to just kind of lull you to sleep with entertainment, with enough like of the ways of the world. I mean, I'm, I love sports. I love movies, man. I'm not anti-social media. I enjoy all that stuff as much as anybody else does. But when that stuff starts consuming a majority of our time and our resources and our life to where we don't even have time to serve in the church anymore, you know how many times like, I'm getting tired of hearing that as a pastor. I'm like, no, you actually have time. If you would take inventory of your time, you would see where you're spending most of your time. And you have to ask yourself, what's most important in my life? What do I value the most? If I value God and worshiping him, then he's going to be first. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's going to be first. Everything else falls in line after that. God says, you put me first. Everything else just seems to fit in your life when you make priorities right. But, but Paul is saying, listen, you got to be on your guard. Like this is an all-out war. This is an all-out assault. Jesus would say it like this. He would say, the kingdom suffers violence and the violent take it by force. What he was saying is that they were, he was talking specifically about John the Baptist, who, who was commissioned by God to be a forerunner to Jesus, to help people repent of their sins so their hearts could be open to receive the gospel, the good news that Jesus was bringing. And so um, John the Baptist had an important role to play in people coming to Christ and putting their faith and trust in him as the Messiah. And, and what happened? They threw John in prison and ended up beheading him. What does that tell you and tell you tell me it tells me that we're in danger when we step out into the things that God has for us when you actually start taking your faith seriously I can guarantee you this you're going to have an enemy that's going to try to take your head off and what do I mean by that he's going to try to take off your purpose that God has for your life he's going to try to take out um, the word of God he's going to try to take out the prophetic words that have been spoken over your life he's going to try to take out your marriages he's going to try to take out your health and Paul's saying listen be on guard man there's someone that's after you the world is trying to pull you away from God we feel it right you step out these doors and you feel the tension, the gravitational pull of the world on your soul, man. From advertisements to the billboards to turn on the radio to social media, you name it, it's all trying to pull you away from God because we know that Jesus said, I've come, that they may have life and have it to the full. And yet we have a real enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy that very life that Jesus died to give you. And, and so he's trying to pull you away from that life. Paul's saying, be on guard. 
I love how it's, it's said in Proverbs. Listen, you got to listen to this. This is so good. Proverbs chapter 4, starting in verse 20. Now, this is King Solomon, the wisest man that ever walked on the earth. And he's, he's writing a book of wisdom, and he's writing it as a father would to a son. And I think this is beautiful. I, I think of it, I want you to think of it like this. The Father God loves you so much that he wants to give you some straight up supernatural wisdom that is going to help you navigate how do you live life Right now, how do you navigate this tension between the world and the pulling of the world and trying to follow God with your whole heart? He says this, my son, my daughter, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Did he say, tune in to Fox News? Tune in to, you know, whatever, uh, you know, you subscribe to email, Twitter, X, I know it's not the little birdie anymore, whatever it is. Thank you, Elon Musk. I don't know. All I know is there's a lot of things we give our ear to. And God is saying by the power of the Holy Spirit, listen, I want you to tune in to me. This isn't time to tune out. This is time to tune in. You need to be on guard, man, about what you're listening to, what you're, what you're exposing yourself to, what you're reading, what you're looking at, because all those things, if we don't guard them, they're getting in. Your eyes are the gatekeeper, your ears are the gatekeeper, and your mind, once it gets into your mind, it starts to work its way down to your heart. And he would go on to say this in verse 21. Do not let them out of your sight, meaning God's words. Keep them within what? Your heart. In fact, uh, David would say, what, how can a young man keep his way pure? By hiding God's word in his heart. I think we, you know, I just want to encourage us as the church. It amazes me how many Christians don't know the word of God. And I think part of the problem is, is we read the word of God, but we skim the word of God. We've gotten so used to fast, like looking at reels, jumping from one thing to another. We've gotten so used to multitasking. Our version of reading the Word of God is, is playing the Word of God on our version Bible app while we're making dinner, while we're cooking something, while we're on our way to work, and we're not really doing what the Bible says, which is meditating on the Word of God. We've lost the art of meditating on the Word of God. That means filling not just your mind, but your soul, your spirit with the very words of God. I wonder if we started reading the Word of God like it was medicine to our soul, like it could bring health to our bones. If we actually believe the power of the Word of God, that it has the power to separate soul and spirit, dividing even our thoughts and intentions, right? That, that it was used like a doctor going in, doing heart surgery, digging out the sin, digging out the bitterness, digging out the unforgiveness, digging out our, our false desires for other things. But if we would just get in the word of God and start to read it and not just read it, close the book and get up and get on with our day, but we just open it up and say, God, what do you want to speak to me? God, I want your word to go deep within me and start to not just read scripture, but what if we spoke scripture? What if we spoke it? I'm, maybe you're going through something in your marriage. What if you started going through scripture verses of your marriage and you started speaking them over your marriage, declaring them over your marriage? What if you started, if you, you're struggling with addiction, you're struggling with sin. What if you get in the word of God and you start digging in the word of God and let the word of God start digging in you? What if you just started speaking the word of God every day when you got up? I get up and I'm gonna speak the word of God. You can't sleep at night, get up, open the word of God. Man, God is my peace. He is the Prince of Peace. He is my peace. The peace of God, God will guard my heart and mind as I put my trust 
in him. God, I trust you right now. I'm putting my hope in you. You're the only hope that I have. Your word sustains me. Your word gives me life. Your word does surgery on me. If I just will allow it. Man, when I think about the parable, the seed of the sower, why isn't the word going deep within our spirits, man? Because some of us, we got bitterness. We got things in our heart. We got sin in our heart. We're not willing to repent from. And because of that, our heart's getting hard and we hear the word and it's just like the enemy comes in and plucks it right out when we leave this place and it doesn't go deep. Some of us, we're allowing the cares and the things of this world to choke out the very life that the word intended to bring to you and me. Some of us, we got big rocks, man, in our soul. We got things and wounds from our past. We haven't allowed the spirit of God to heal in us. And because of that, our hearts aren't ready to receive. God, right now, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would help us to receive your word for us. Because here it goes in verse 22. For your words, they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Are you struggling with the sickness? Are you struggling with the disease? Maybe you go in there and say, God is my healer. I speak life over my body. I'm reading the word of God over my body right now. I am declaring health and wholeness over my body through the power of the word of God. And here we go, verse 23. And above all else, in other words, the most important thing right here, Guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. This means you got to be careful whose voices you're listening to. Whose words are you taking as truth? How do you view the world? How do you see your life? Our whole perspective comes by what we believe to be true. What we believe to be true is influenced by what we read, what we allow into our ears and our eyes and our hearts. You got to guard it. Take it serious. In verse 24, keep your mouth free from perversity and keep corrupt talk from your lips. Stop complaining, right? Like if Christians would just stop complaining. Like I know life isn't easy. Even Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. So why are you surprised you're having car trouble? Why are you surprised? Like, you, you know, you got doctor bills that you don't know how you're going to pay. Why are you surprised you got an argument, you know, with your wife or with your kids. Listen, he didn't promise a pain-free, trouble-free, problem-free life. What he promised is in the middle of it, I will be your peace. I will be your joy. I will be your life. In this world, you have trouble, but take heart. That word heart is where we get the Latin word core. It's where we get the word courage. It means heart. It means take courage. I have overcome the world and greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So the good news is no matter what you're going through in your life right now, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world and take courage because he's overcome the world. That's the good news of the gospel. So no matter what you came in with, you don't have to leave here the same. You don't have to take it with you. You could say, devil, I'm dropping it here. I'm putting it right here. I'm leaving it at the altar because Jesus, you left it on the cross. Through the power of the cross, you defeated the enemies and now you call me an overcomer. We need to stop, man. We need to stop, start stomping on the devil and tell him, devil, you are under me. You're not over me. You're not over me. Nothing's over you. There ain't nothing over you. Oh man, I'm way behind my notes. Verse 25. Here it is. Let's, let's bring this in. Verse 25. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. You know, what if we just focused on Jesus? 
What if we just made it all about God? I'm going to follow you today. What are you saying to me? Just like Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing and what I hear him saying. What? Christianity right there. What if we just got up and said, God, what are you telling me to do today? What do you want to do? And verse 26, give careful thought to the paths of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Right now, your life is heading in a direction. Is it heading towards God or away from God? Are we allowing the pull of culture to pull us away from God? Because that's what it wants to do. So he's saying, give thought to your path. What path are you on? All of us are on a path right now. You're heading and your life is moving in a direction. Do you like the direction your life is moving in? If not, you can do this, verse 27. Do not turn to the right or the left, but keep your foot from evil. In other words, stay the course. Follow me, right? Follow my word. Man, can I tell you something? You can't stand up for God. You can't stand firm in your faith without standing out. Why is it that as Christians, we are so ashamed of the gospel when the gospel is the power the gospel's the power. Yet we are so afraid of people that we won't even stand up and let people know we're Christians. We go to work. We're going to go to work on Monday morning. We're in here praising God, just Jesus, you're awesome, quoting scripture, and we'll go to work in the morning and nobody at work will even know we're a Christian. What is wrong with that picture? How are we supposed to be salt and light if we're not salt and light? Man, if we're ashamed of the gospel, we are missing out on the very power to stand firm in our faith. But you can't stand firm in your faith if you're not willing to stand out. And you can't stand out unless you stand on the word of God. The word of God is what we stand on. It is the light unto my path, the lamp unto my feet. I know I got that backwards, but you know, you get the point. I'm standing on the word of God. Look at what Daniel and his friends did in Daniel chapter 3. Now the, the king of Babylon has erected a golden image and he's commanded everybody to bow down to it. The penalty for not bowing down to the culture and to their gods was that you got eliminated. You got canceled, like canceled, canceled, like your life is canceled. Not just like canceled on social media and all that. 21st century American problems, but you really got canceled. Like you're dead. You're going in the furnace. You're dying. And this is how they responded. Daniel 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Now, they didn't say, hey, let us explain, okay? Give us a little grace. We just want to go in our churches and worship. I know we got to shut down for COVID. No, I won't go there. Um, I know we're supposed to bow down to this God, but we're not even going to try to explain ourselves. Verse 17, listen to this, listen to this. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And check this out, and he will deliver us. Come on, talk about some faith. <laughs> not only do I know, and most of us, we would say, oh, I know God can risk me. No. It's not just God is able. Yes, he's able. My God is able to ex do exceedingly abundantly more than ever I could ask, think, or imagine. He's not only that, but he will deliver me. I know it in my spirit. I feel it because I'm standing in faith. That's what faith is. Faith doesn't just quote a scripture and hope God delivers us. No, faith says, you know what? I'll get in that fire. 
I'm okay with that because I know my God is not only able, he will. Come on, some of us need to start standing in faith and stop hoping God will, wondering, God, where are you? Will you say, no, my God is able and he will deliver me. He will deliver my marriage. He will deliver my son from addiction. He will bring home my prodigal. He will restore what the devil stole from me. He will. That's faith. It says, verse 18, I love this, man. But even if he does not, how many of us land there? That's next level faith. It's one thing to say, man, I believe God can. It's another thing to say God can and he will. It's a whole nother level of faith to say, but even if he doesn't, we want you to know your majesty. Look at the honor. We want you to know. World, we're putting you on notice. This is the church. We're putting you on notice that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Even if he doesn't. And I don't know how many of you know the story, but three men, they cranked the furnace up even hotter. They said, oh yeah, you believe that much. Let me tell you something. When you start taking a stand for faith, culture's gonna start cranking it up. Your friends are gonna start cranking it up. Your workplace will crank it up. The devil will crank up the heat in your life. And yet faith must be tested. See, we don't get this, come on. The testing of your faith is what produces perseverance and let perseverance finish its work. None of us wanna stay in the fire. We want to compromise and get ourselves out. Out. Don't want none of that. I'm just going to stay out of that conversation. I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep my faith private into myself. I'm going to go into my cabin and I got my gun, my Bible. I got my guns, my God, and I'm good. And God said, nah, man, you can't take a barrel and put it over the lights. You can't do that. I called you to be salt and I called you to be light. If you lose your light, if you lose the saltiness, man, maybe everything, the shift that we're seeing, the hard right in our culture is a direct result of the church putting a barrel over us, getting in the church, staying in our nice, comfortable confines of with other people that think like us, talk like us and act like us so that we can feel better about ourselves. But then we go out there and we pretend like we ain't even Christians. See, standing for faith means I live out my faith. This is the problem. You could stand up for the truth, but not live out your faith. Like I could believe all the right things here, but if I don't let it go from here to here to here and here, something's wrong. That's why next week we're gonna live out our faith. We're gonna give generously so that we can, we can take it and not just keep it amongst ourselves. We're gonna take it and bless people that are hurting during the holidays. We're gonna be the hands and feet of Jesus. We're actually gonna put our money where our mouth is and we're gonna worship Jesus, not with just our mouth, but our pocketbooks and say, God, we're gonna give to you so that we can be a blessing, so that we can be light and salt to a community that needs to know the love of Jesus. It's where the rubber meets the road. In fact, James would say faith without works. In other words, you can talk about your faith all you want, but I don't really believe that you believe it until I see it in your life. I think the world is tired of hearing Jesus loves you. I think they're saying, church, show us. Show us. Take the bumper sticker off and show us the love of God. 
Paul said, you're ambassadors of Jesus. We have been commissioned. Jesus said, I'm going to leave the earth. I'm going to put my spirit in you. And now you're going to be my representatives on the earth. I want people to call you friend of sinners. How many prostitutes you hang out with this week? How many, how many shady people I love? Uh, my friend, Pastor Dave Patterson of the Father's House, who's like a pastor to me, he told me, he said, look, every pastor should have a couple of shady friends they hang out with. I think he's right. I think we get so... Uh, so we, I love community. I love the Christian community. We need this, all right? Let me establish that. We need this. But when this becomes so much that we forget about the people that need this and we're not including them, like when we get so worried about sitting by our friends at church and forgetting about the people that today are here for the first time and we don't recognize them, we don't see them, are we being the hands and feet of Jesus? Are we representing Jesus well? I don't know, church. I'm telling you, let me say, let me tell you. I know I'm throwing some heat at you. Uh, let me throw in a joke to just soften it up a little. How many of you love a good Boudreaux joke? So Boudreaux, you know, he's in, he's in Southern Louisiana and he grew up a Baptist all his life. And every Friday night, he comes home from work, he cracks a beer, he grills some venison steak on his barbecue. And, and so during Lent time, which uh, there's a lot of Catholic people in Louisiana. So during Lent, there's 40 days where on Fridays you can't eat meat. You can only eat fish or something. So every Friday night he comes home from work, throws some venison steaks on the grill. And the grill, man, is smelling. And all his neighbors who are Catholic, they're all smelling the smell. They're like, man, this is driving us crazy. This goes on for a couple of weeks. Finally, those good Catholics, they go to their priest and they say, hey, can you help us with something? This, this man, Boudreaux, on Friday nights, he's just cooking these, grilling these venison steaks. It's driving us all crazy. We're about to sin. Help us, priest. And so the priest says, okay, I'll pay him a visit. So the priest goes out and he knocks on his door. It's a Friday night. The priest. He smells the venison steaks. He's like, dang, that smells good. So he goes, he says, listen, Boudreaux, he says, we got to stop this. It's Lent. He's like, are you a religious person? He said, yeah, there, I grew up Baptist. And so he said, well, you need to come to my church. And so he goes to the Catholic church. He, he goes through the catechisms and stuff, and he baptizes him, and he sprinkles him with water. He says, he says you was born a Baptist, you was raised a Baptist, but now you're a Catholic. And so he, he gets converted to Catholicism. And so all, he, the priest tells the neighbors, it shouldn't be a problem now. Everything should be good. They're like, yes, this is great. We don't have to deal with the smell of venison on Friday nights anymore. Well, sure enough, Friday night comes. Boudreaux gets off work, cracks himself a beer, and there's this aroma of venison steaks. And so they call up the priest and says, I don't know what's going on, but Boudreaux's still cooking those venison steaks. He says, all right, I'll go and check it out. So he goes, knocks on Boudreaux's door. Boudreaux's eating his venison steak. He says, hey, what are you doing? He's like, oh, we, we told you we don't eat meat during Lent on Friday nights. He's like, oh, no, I'm not eating meat. He's like, let me show you. So he brings him over the grill and he's got this little shaker bottle with some water. And he says, let me show you, priest. He's sprinkling the venison steaks. He says, you was born a deer. You was raised a deer. But now you is a catfish. <laughs> and that's a funny story. But I think we all look for loopholes in the Bible so that we can live the way that we want to live and still be Christian. And I'm telling you, the world is looking for people that live with conviction, not compromise. And if the church would start to have conviction about our faith, conviction, man, we've lost the art of conviction. 
Conviction is, I believe God's word. I not only believe it, I believe he will do it. And I'm going to act like it's done. And I'm standing up for what I believe. I'm standing up for the truth of God. And I'm not going to compromise. Man, we need to stop compromising the truth of God because there's power in the word of God when you stand up. And if we're going to do that, my last point is this. We need to be strong and courageous. Paul gave us the formula. Guard your heart, stand strong in the faith, and be strong and courageous. Strong and courageous. I was thinking about being strong and courageous because for most of us, I mean, it's intimidating, right? It's intimidating to live out your faith and have other people judge you, criticize you, um, like tell you you're a fool. Why do you go to church? Why do you believe in that God? I mean, it's tough going to school today if you're a young person. Man, we need to be praying for our young people. But it reminds me uh, of, of another time in Israel's history where the Assyrians were going to invade Israel. And, and the king stood up to the people and he said this in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse 7. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. For there is a greater power with us than with him. And he says in verse 8, with him, listen to this, with him is only the arm of the flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And listen, the result. And the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. In other words, the people were strengthened and they got some courage to face their enemies. Let me tell you, we need to be strong and courageous if we're going to fight this battle. And it isn't a fight against people. It's a fight against flesh and blood. So how do we win this battle? We stand strong when we bow down in prayer. That's your power source. Prayer is your power source. I've heard it be said, uh, a week without prayer makes one week. And I wonder how many of us we are not strong and courageous because we haven't spent time in the secret place with God getting downloaded from Him, getting strength from Him, getting strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, Paul, when he was weak, he came to, he prayed a prayer. He said, God, take this thorn away from my flesh. And God responded. He said he pleaded three times with him. And the Lord responded to him and said, no, I'm not going to take it away. But here's what I am going to do. I'm going to give you my grace. Grace is the supernatural empowerment of God. And Paul said, oh man, this was a game changer for me. When I finally understood that it's okay for me to be weak, because when I'm weak, I learn to be sufficient on the supernatural power of God. And when I do that, that's when I'm strong. I'm not strong by muscling up. Got this, God, I'm gonna be strong, be courageous. It's realizing I am nothing without you, God. I need you. I cannot get up today. I can't, I can't do a thing. Jesus himself would say in John 15, he says, you can do nothing apart from me. But if you abide, the Bible says the secret to Daniel's success was that he prayed three times a day. 
He knew that if he was going to stand up for his faith, if he was going to stand and be strong courageously, he needed to bow down in prayer. Church, we are not going to be able to stand strong and be courageous until we learn to bow down in prayer. The last thing that I want to remind us of is this. When you stand up for Jesus, Jesus stands up for you. There was a man named Stephen. And he was so, he was so filled with the Holy Spirit that he couldn't keep Jesus to himself. He was willing to be uncomfortable talking to people about Jesus. He was willing to stand in the middle of people around him who were spitting at him, were angry because he was, he was saying that Jesus was the Messiah and the Jewish people, they were so angry. They got so angry with him. They wanted to shut him up just like the world will get, get angry with you for standing for the truth. But Stephen didn't stop. He kept preaching the good news about Jesus as the Messiah and they started to pick up stones and they started to throw them at him. And as he started getting hit with the stones and bloodied and beaten, it says he fell to his knees. And as his final moments on the earth, it said as he was slowly dying from being beaten with the stones, it says that he looked up and he saw heaven open and he saw the son of God, Jesus, standing at the right hand of the father, not seated, mind you. He said, that's my son standing up for me. I'm gonna stand up for him. And Jesus stepped off his throne and he stood up in honor of what Stephen was doing. And I know that in his final moments, he didn't feel a thing. I just know it in my spirit. The angels surrounded him and strengthened him until he went home to be with the Lord. But I'm gonna tell you, when you are willing to stand up for Jesus, Jesus is, he's interceding. He's praying for you actually right now, the Bible says, interceding for you at the right hand of God. But when you stand up for him, he says, I'm gonna stand up, I'm gonna be right by you. I'm gonna send you the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, who's gonna be right by your side. Put your hand on your heart. I wanna pray for you. Father, right now I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit. How many of you by a show of hands would just say, I wanna be strong in my faith. I wanna stand up and be courageous for Jesus. Right now, Holy Spirit, would you come? You see the hearts of your people. God, we admit to you, we are nothing without you. We need your Holy Spirit to come and give us strength to go to school tomorrow and be the light, to go to work and not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that you strengthen your people. Holy Spirit, come right now in power. Let your presence breathe on your people. Now, I just wanna ask for those of you who are here, maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You aren't a Christian, you came with a friend. Maybe you're not even sure why you're here. I can tell you, God knows why you're here. But I wanna tell you, this man, Jesus, not only is standing at the right hand of God when we stand for him, but Jesus was nailed to a cross, brutally murdered, surrendered his life so that you could be forgiven and free of all your sin, past, present, and future. And let me tell you something,
Not only does Jesus stand in the throne of heaven when you stand up for him, but if you don't know Jesus, this is something you need to know about him. That Jesus, when he was on the cross, there's this little wooden platform at the bottom of the feet and it was there to be able to push yourself up so that you could actually breathe because part of the brutality of crucifixion is that your lungs would begin to fill with blood and water and you would suffocate on the cross because you couldn't get enough oxygen in your body as your body started to droop from the weight. And Jesus, with one of his last words that he would say, he would push himself off with the little bit of strength that he had just enough so he could stand up one more time with his arms outstretched and he would say, it is finished. And with those words, he took his last breath and died. And he said it, meaning that your sin is canceled, the debt of your sin that you have is finished, it's done. There's nothing separating, God loves you. If you're here today and you wanna receive that love, you wanna receive that grace, I want you to just slip your hand up. Say, Pastor Lance, I wanna give my life to Jesus today. He surrendered his life for me. I wanna surrender my life to him. Come on, make a bold move. I'm telling you, you'll never regret this decision. Maybe you're online, maybe you're in Eureka, and that's you today. You can say a prayer. The Bible says that we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that we shall be saved. For the rest of us, I'm wondering if you would just stand to your feet as we worship Jesus as we close. Come on, just lift your hands one more time. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for standing for us. God, we worship you. We surrender to you.